Welcome into the Designated for Assignment podcast. Rob Wong, Josh Goldberg with you. As always, you can get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 34 and at Jay Goldberg 12. Well, the last time we did a podcast, Josh felt like the uh, sky was falling a little bit for the Blue Jays. Things were not going particularly well. They were sort of hanging on to a wild card spot and still are. I mean, all three of these teams, whether it's the Rays, the Blue Jays, or the Mariners, are being chased down by teams like the Twins and the Orioles, for God's sakes. I mean, they're still in it. But uh, right now, Blue Jays riding high. They've won five of their last six. They almost won all four in New York. And uh, of course, they just love being beating the crap out of the Boston Red Sox every time they go to Fenway so far this year. And uh, we're recording this ahead of game number two of this series where Jose Barrios is set to take the hill against Brian Bayo. But uh, like I said, things have started to, you know, turn around a little bit. They've righted the ship. The pitching has been phenomenal uh, over this stretch, and the, the bats have started to come alive as well. Uh, it feels uh, like, you know, we're going to be foolish again, that maybe we're buying back into the Blue Jays because we've done it, you know, several times this season, only for them to, you know, kick us right in the groin. But uh, are you back in, or are you taking uh, a cautious approach here with what's uh, gone on over the last week? Guarded, I would say, approach for sure. Like uh, they, they've been playing a lot better. You couldn't really play much worse than they were. They they were just finding a different, more torturous way to lose there. Uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks before that series in New York, and then they found it. They played well against the Yankees. They arguably should have won all four of those games. You know, the series finale. The Yankees were giving them every opportunity and then some to take that ball game by the horns and win it, but you still are always going to be pleased with three or four. They've had this kind of under the radar habit of, I think nine different times this year, they've had a chance to sweep a series and not done it and, and ended up, you know, only taking two out of three or three out of four, which is not really the worst thing in the world. Any, like I say, my age old adage is always, if you can win a series, you're always going to be happy with that, but they've had opportunities to step on the throat of another team and not done it a number of times this year. And that is always kind of mystifying to me a little bit. But like you said, the starting pitching has been good. And we were talking last week about how concerning it was and how Ross Stripling coming back uh, uh, you know, was a huge boost. And he hadn't really, before the injury, been going deep into ball games. And his first two starts off the IL, he's gone, I think, what, six and a third or six, six and a third he's been good and, and given you a great, he had a perfect game going and given you more length instead of the four and a third or four and two thirds or five, you know, if he can go into the six or even complete six, that's such a huge boost to the bullpen. And just overall, that's just such a huge thing to have huge weapon to have um, out of the rotation. I don't know if you saw Zach Granke had some quote when I guess the two of them got together recently when Kansas city was in town and he basically was like, Oh, they're using you the right way. You're, they're only letting you pitch twice through the order and stripping was like, thanks, I guess. I, I don't know <laughs> if that's a compliment, but I, I really do think that by and large Ross Stripling's a two times through the order guy. And you, you can maybe take your chances a third time through and, Sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not going to work, but there's been way more good than bad over the last, you know, six or seven days, but we've been fooled before. This is just a consistently inconsistent team, I think is really the best way of putting it. It just seems like uh, when they're playing bad, a good stretch is always right around the corner. And when they're playing really good, 
it does seem like a not so great stretch is peaking around the corner. And they, we just have to hope, they just have to hope that that isn't going to be the case here because you just can't afford something like that happening with how tightly bunched uh, the standings are. Yeah. And I, and I will say, you know, something that we've talked about a lot is that, you know, the bats haven't showed up at the same time that the pitching has. And I know they didn't score, you know, like 15 runs a game when they were in New York or anything, but, you know, they had a, a lot of timely hitting. Um, they had a lot of good approaches at the plates, uh, which you, you know, can't say has always been the case um, for large parts of this season. So um, at the very least, this stretch of, you know, five wins in their last six, it has coincided with everything coming together. The relief pitching has been great the starting pitching has been great and they've gotten enough hitting so you know definitely gives you some um optimism uh for sure better than it was uh, a couple of weeks ago but yeah with regards to to ross stripling uh geez it's just incredible the season that he continues to have i know we talked about it um earlier this season you know do you uh qual give this guy a qualifying offer heading into the off season or do you try to work something out i know people have sort of posed you know something similar to i guess a, a you say kikuchi deal you know a three-year deal 10 to 12 million dollars I think there is a little bit of risk there he's not a spring chicken he is 32 you know turning 33 sure he doesn't need high velocity to you know get the job done a la you know Hunjin Ryu but you just always get concerned when you're paying for pitching you know past 30 where a guy just all of a sudden you know breaks down or just doesn't have it anymore and you know, there were concerns. Uh, I guess there are still concerns about Jose Barrios and, you know, that contract not looking great. Can you afford to, you know, add on another multi-year term guy that's making 10 plus million? And if things go sideways, you know, what do you do there? I, I think out of, you know, a, a guy like Ross Stripling, like I said, he's more of a feel guy. So you're not too worried if all of a sudden the fastball drops a couple miles an hour, especially with that, you know, new changeup that he's working with. But, you know, I don't think it's as, uh, you know, risk-free and as easy as I think maybe some people are uh, making it out to be. Yeah. I honestly am, I'm not feeling that great about handing him potentially a three or maybe even a four year deal. Some teams, you never know. Teams can get crazy when it comes to pitching. Like I'm sure the St. Louis Cardinals are kicking themselves for handing Steven Matz a four-year deal after he was very good last year, but it was a good season amid a lot of injuries and not so good. And he's been hurt this year and, and hasn't been tremendous. And they gave him a four-year deal, I think for 44 or $45 million. Ross Stripling has never thrown even 120 innings in a season. I believe his career high in a, in a season's 118. He's probably barring something unforeseen with injuries, knock on wood, going to shoot past that this year. But for a pitcher to, you know, be making 12 to $15 million a year or something along those lines, I, I would rather have somebody who has the capability or you feel confident in their capability of even giving you 150 innings. The days of 175, 200, I think that's probably over. But I, I think that if you do go down the road of re-signing Ross Tripling, you have to be prepared for the possibility of not just... Um, you know, inconsistency or a fallback in performance as he gets older, there's obviously injury concerns as well and just workload concerns. And then, you know, you're looking at that level of commitment and money to a pitcher that you feel like, well, you know, if he, everything is great, he'll be great, but we also have to prepare for the contingency of things not going so good and having some ready-made depth. You should have that regardless, but I'd rather have somebody in the back type of my rotation because I think all said and done, Ross Stripling, if he's back next year, is not higher than your four in the rotation, assuming all goes well. 
I just would like a little more certainty uh, with that type of, of pitcher. I, I maybe I, I, you know, like the floor might be a little bit lower, but I'm okay for not that high of a ceiling, but I don't want a super low floor um, at the back end of my rotation. And if it's stripling and Kikuchi there, that's a little bit uh, of a difficult pill to swallow. So if, if Kikuchi is going to be back, which I guess we'll see, I don't know what's going to happen there. We can talk about that. I'm sure. Uh, I just don't know if you can pair Stripling and Kikuchi and, and feel that great about it. I, I, to me, this just seems like a great walk year for Ross Stripling. And if the cost is not prohibitive, maybe it's something you consider, but I think it's trending in a direction where it's just not going to work out for me. And you wish him well and thank him for what he's been able to do this year because he's been a godsend. Yeah. And, and I guess if you're the Blue Jays, you're just thinking, you know, what is the solution then if, you know, Ross Stripling walks, you know, who do we uh, go and get? I mean, obviously there's going to be options come free agency, but um, the question is, can we do better than than Ross Stripling um, when he's at his best? And as you said, you say Kikuchi, we have no idea what's going to happen there. I feel like it's a, a week to week thing uh, with him right now, especially with the way he has gone here in the bullpen uh, in his first two outings. But uh, yeah, the Stripling story going to be very interesting going to be one of the stories of the uh, off season, but uh, right now he has been phenomenal and uh, where would they be without the pitching of Ross Stripling? The uh, other pitching that has been uh, really good over this last little stretch here, obviously Kevin Gossman, uh, I think has, you know, shown, I, I put out that astronaut uh, meme of, you know, always has been. And uh, I know there was a stretch where, you know, Alec Manoa, all-star season he's been phenomenal but outside of I would say what like a little bit of a hiccup Kevin Gossman has been just absolutely nails you know people uh, talking a lot about his FIP his fielder uh, independent pitching stat which has been one of the best marks in Blue Jays history has been one of the best marks in all of baseball this year like you know, Alec Manoa is a fantastic pitcher um, and he's definitely been grinding through it right now. But, you know, Kevin Gossman just looking so strong right now, looks to you know be back on track from um, where he was, maybe a bit of a hiccup in the middle of the season there. But uh, if you just look at the overall body of work, like as great as Alec Manoa has been, I think you can make the case that Kevin Gossman has been even better. Yeah, I, I honestly, I might get raked over the coals as people are listening to this. I don't really think it's been all that close. I, I understand Manoa has been great and, and consistent and he battles and he gives you a chance and all of that, you know, has gone at least five innings in every start this year that matters. And he's been, that's, this is not to take away anything from him whatsoever, but Kevin Gosman has been dominant a lot. And Alec Manoa to me has had flashes of dominance, but there's been more grinding than I think a lot of us anticipated even earlier in the year, he was never super overpowering. There were moments, there were flashes, but his strikeout numbers have just not been as good for whatever reason. Last year, he was missing a good number of bats better than a strikeout per inning pitch. And this year just hasn't carried over. It's a testament to his skills and his will that he's been able to have the results that he's had without missing as many bats as I'm sure he would like to miss. But Gosman has just been so good. And there's just been so many moments where you're just left breathless almost with how just overpowering and dominant and all of this stuff that his stuff can be sometimes. And when he's bad, it's not because, well, you know, he's just leaving meatball after meatball over the plate. There's been a, so much bad luck. You mentioned that the FIP. It, it bears it in, in those numbers. The defense has just sometimes disintegrated around him and he's been babbit to death. 
you know, sometimes that can happen, but more often than not this year, especially on the road, his home road splits have been very interesting. He's been as dominant as any pitcher in baseball away from the Roger center this year. Um, it's been everything you could have envisioned in year one of that deal. I know Robbie Ray is, he's been inconsistent, but he's been better after a rocky start in Seattle. But Kevin Gosman, to me, I thought that that was a, a prudent decision to make between those two guys. I understand the vaccination status probably was a factor or definitely was a factor with Robbie Ray. But I think just pound for pound, pitcher for pitcher, Gosman to me seemed like a better bet over five years than Robbie Ray. And the first year of that deal is obviously uh, showing that you never know what's going to happen with pitching. It's always voodoo and injuries and, and who knows what can happen, but at least in year one, he has delivered surplus value on that deal. He's, I believe leading all major league baseball pitchers in war on fan graphs. He's been mm. so good. And, you know, if you had told me that was going to be the case here, as we approach September, I would have said, well, if that's happening, he's going to be having a Cy Young caliber season. And he arguably is. He's not going to win it. He's not going to get votes because there are other guys who have been great. But I think if you look at it, you know, from a 10,000 foot view, Kevin Gosman deserves some Cy Young consideration with the way he's pitched this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if it was just based on Fangraph's war, like you said, he'd be right up there, if not uh, number one in the AL Cy Young uh, rankings. But we know that's not how things work. Uh, people still love their ERA. People still love uh, their wins. I mean, you know, it's not taking anything away from a season like Justin Verlander's having or no. uh, Dylan Cease or even Shohei Otani. Like all three of those guys have been truly phenomenal uh, this year. But uh, maybe some of the stats don't bear out for just how good Kevin Gossman has been. So far this year, I think it'll be interesting, you know, if the Blue Jays get into a position where they can set up their playoff rotation, how they're going to go. I mean, is Gossman going to start in game one of a wild card series? Or are they going to look at Manoa? I'm sure, you know, matchups and everything is going to be uh, a big part of that. But uh, I think that'll be uh, a really fun conversation yeah. as we get closer to the end of the season. So we talked about uh, Gossman. We talked about Manoa. Um, Jose Barrios had a really good start against the Yankees last time out. Ross Stripling, of course, but uh, haven't talked as much about uh our new favorite uh pitcher mitch white sexy mitch white sexy who, uh, mitch yeah <laughs> who looked really good uh in his last start against the the yankees got a little bit of uh you know got babbipped a little bit as well gave up a bunch of hits but you know was able to limit the damage struck out five i don't think he walked anyone uh in that start may have been one walk if i uh, i look back but regardless i mean three starts now uh for the blue jays since the uh, trade deadline a lot of people when that deal was made it was were like Mitch White, like why? And I think, you know, we've seen it. I mean, he's a guy that can slot in to uh, a starting rotation and give you some productive innings, very much like uh, Ross Stripling. Is he going to continue to pitch the way he has been? Uh, not striking out a ton of guys? Probably not. Uh, but at the very least, you feel better about him than uh, Yusei Kikuchi. No question about that. And uh, you know, Mitch White's slider is really good. There's a lot of movement. There are tumbles. This fastball's spotty, I would say, when it's good, when he can throw it up in the zone. He can you know, get some, some defensive hacks, uh, as we saw uh, against a couple of Yankees hitters there. I, I see something there. The raw stuff is good. I think it was... Uh, the athletic, uh, you know, Saris, who's always great with these sorts of um, deep dive analytical looks at, uh, at baseball players and pitchers in particular noted Mitch White White's stuff has been on the upswing this year and has improved. And, you know, the Blue Jays are a methodical team. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's not so good, but when they, 
identify somebody that they feel like can deliver something for them, then they look to act and, and make a move to bring that type of player into the fold. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. It's a real mixed bag. We saw what happened. Like we're seeing what's happening with Ross Stripling. They made that deal a couple of years ago. It's taken some time, but he's paying major dividends. You say Kikuchi, they obviously saw something there. We've seen it in very limited flashes with the stuff. It hasn't worked out on the whole. The Stephen Matt situation, the Robbie Ray situation, there have been some hits, there have been some misses. It's too early to tell what's going to happen with Mitch White, but I can see why there was interest in Mitch White. The Dodgers obviously have, it's just a factory where they just produce arms at a just an alarming clip. Honestly, it just freaks me out how often they manage to turn these guys into major league assets and then maybe trade them and then reset the cycle. Like, is Nick Frasso going to be something for them? Are they going to trade him? Probably one way or the other. They're going to extract some value from him. But I, I see something in Mitch White and he's somebody that, I think is a ready-made Ross Stripling replacement because I think there's certainly some similarities in their profile. You know, White throws harder. Can he develop a third offering to go with the slider, whether it's a change-up curveball situation? I think the Jays, if they give him enough runway, he could deliver a season sort of similar to what we're seeing with Ross Stripling. And I think that's just another knock against the likelihood of Stripling being back is that Mitch White could end up slotting in and then you know you have you sign somebody else to be a depth piece to go along with white and one of those guys ends up emerging next year in the rotation yeah i think you kind of hit it right there that you know mitch white could be that uh, immediate raw stripling replacement next year and uh, he's not going to cost you anything he's going to cost you peanuts uh, with the amount of service time that he has so you're going to be able to maybe allocate that money to another position uh maybe the bullpen uh, if we're looking for some relief uh, relief help for this blue jays team but uh, at the very least, Mitch White, a very uh, prudent move by the Blue Jays at the deadline to bring him into the full. Let's move to uh, the offense now. And uh, you say it all the time. I say it all the time. It just looks completely different when George Springer is in there, whether he's at 10% or whether he's at 100%. Just having him in there uh, with the odd chance that he can do something makes such a big difference. And it's pretty evident. I mean, he's been spoken out about it, that uh, he's not at 100%. Who knows what percentage he's at? He's got some sort of bionic sleeve going on on his uh, right arm that's like weird compression, race thing there's like a valve on it like it's it's rough yeah (laughs) like i just i can't imagine what his elbow uh looks like on on the inside it's uh, obviously something that's going to need um to be fixed surgically in the off season but you know since coming back uh, from that little uh you know time off and you know getting uh fouling a ball off his knee the guy's hitting like over you know like 400 like he's maybe 500 like the at bats haven't been you know super powerful it's not like he's stinging balls off the wall or hitting home runs but at the very least um i, I think they made the point on the broadcast like he just looks so much more under control because it, it probably hurts like hell to try to swing um as hard as you possibly can but the guy's getting hits. The guy's, you know, making pitchers work. He's, um, you know, being a catalyst, as we always say. You know, if this is uh, the version of George Springer that the Blue Jays get for the rest of the season, where maybe his slugging percentage is just going to be doubles and singles. I mean, the triple, you can kind of throw it out the door because Rob Snyder made a really dumb play on that dive there in Boston. Um, but if he's just going to keep getting on base and coming up with timely hits, I mean, even if he's not a hundred percent and maybe he can only play in the field, you know, maybe once or twice a week, twice at most, uh, you know, you're going to take it because he's just such a difference maker. 
No question. And I don't think it's hyperbole or a hot take to say if he can be in the lineup more often than not, they're going to make the playoffs. If he's playing 80% of the games down the stretch here or something near that's at least 75% of the games, they're making the playoffs. I feel pretty confident about that. I, I know a lot of people will poo-poo the, well, their record with and without him, you know, can one player really make that much of a difference? Yes. I think we have seen, there's enough evidence here of more than a season's worth of games. He makes a real tangible difference to this ball club, to this lineup. There was an obvious reason that they signed him to that contract, even with the risks that we've seen come to fruition in the first two years, missing major chunks of time in each of the first two years. It's still worth it. I still don't have even a shred of regret over that contract. He changes the narrative. He changes the just the whole feel, the structure of your organization, considering where the Blue Jays were. They're a team that I think you have to take more seriously because he's around. I understand the, the cheating, all that Astros uh, shit is obviously warranted. That's fair. But he is a fantastic baseball player and by all accounts, a fantastic human being to have in your ranks and in your clubhouse. And when he's not around and it just isn't as interconnected with things when he's not playing, everything just doesn't seem right. The lineup's obviously all out of kilter. Like you got Matt Chapman leading off or Lourdes leading off and that can work in a pinch, but everything else just doesn't work the same way without him. And yeah, I don't really give a rat's ass what physical condition he's in. I hope he does heal. I'm not saying that, but relative to the Blue Jays postseason aspirations, he's just got to be out there. And I think he realizes that and he's going to grind and he's done it basically his entire time as a Blue Jay. He's just been grinding and trying to stay on the field and rushing back at times and and it ended up costing him. But he's going to do everything in his power to be out there. And that's why it really grinds me when I see people saying, oh, like poor baby out with a sore knee after fouling a ball off his leg. If if it's not if you, if it's not bleeding, you should be playing. I, I hate that shit. If he could play, he would be playing and they're doing everything that they can to maximize his his potential to play and his productivity while he does play. And that's all that matters. Like if, if, if there's going to be off days here down the stretch, you just have to make your peace with them and and savor him when he's in the lineup because you're going to have a better chance to win when he's in there. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that for his entire Blue Jays career, he's probably never been at 100%, maybe at the beginning of this year Yeah, um, for the first little bit. Like, that's probably it. But aside from that, he's just been banked up, like, the whole time. But he continues to get the job done, which is uh, truly incredible um, since uh, signing that deal. So, yeah, it's just makes such a big difference having him in the lineup and how um, he can just get anything going. I mean, the guy comes off the bench in New York the other day and just immediately, you know, drives the ball into the outfield. Like I said, He's been hitting the ball a lot. I just looked it up uh, since uh, coming back from the injured list. He's batting 600, but he doesn't mm-hmm. have a single barrel. Um, so he's not, you know, hitting the ball particularly hard or far, but he's yeah. hitting the ball, putting it in play. He's only got a four, four, uh, 4% strikeout rate in 21 plate appearances. So it's not like he's up there just flailing. He's putting the ball into the outfield. He's touching grass and he's getting the job done. And uh, at this point, um, that's all you really care about. Don't tell me how, just tell me how many. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's uh, out there just grinding away and uh, getting things uh, done when he's uh, in the lineup playing for this Blue Jays 
team. We go from the top of the order to the bottom of the order. And since coming to the Blue Jays, Jackie Bradley Jr. has been a productive hitter, which is uh, pretty surprising because he was one of the worst hitters in uh, all of Major League Baseball this year, even worse than when Bradley Zimmer was a member of the Blue Jays. That's how bad things were going, uh, I think, for Jackie Bradley Jr. at one point this year. Uh, But since coming to the Blue Jays, taking a look at the stats, heading into Wednesday night's action, got a 119 WRC plus. A lot of that um, obviously came in his uh, two hit return to Fenway Park, where he made a couple of nice plays in the outfield, um, drove in a run, had a double, scored a couple of runs, had a big walk the other day in New York uh, in the Bronx against the Yankees as well. And this is kind of how I thought he would fit in. Obviously, he plays a great center field still, um, you know, has something in, um, you know, that bat still, I think might be a little untapped. Uh, we saw the Blue Jays uh, be able to turn Rymel Tapia into a productive major league hitter this year against right-handed pitching. So, you know, maybe they could figure something out with Jackie Bradley Jr. And I'm not saying he's going to continue to hit this way, but, you know, he's someone that has cachet. He's someone that has been to the playoffs, has won a World Series before. And I think that does mean a lot you know, to uh, this clubhouse to have just another guy that, you know, I hate using it professional at bat, but I think that was huge. I mean, we saw it in New York when he was able to draw that game tying walk, like Bradley Zimmer's not doing that for you. Like, I'm sorry. Um, Like he's just not that um, he's not that guy. And I'm not saying Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to do it all the time, but you just feel way more comfortable, you know, having him in a spot like that um, or out in, out in the outfield playing, you know, great defense. So um, he's not going to be a massive game changer necessarily the rest of the way. uh, But you definitely feel a lot better about him than you did about Bradley Zimmer uh, on both sides of the field. Yeah, there's no question about it. And I think that the Springer injury and an inability to play a lot of center field made Bradley the much better call because like I thought as just a pure speed defensive replacement, you could make an argument that Bradley Zimmer checks those boxes a little bit more than uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. right now. And, you know, at bats, you weren't expecting a Springer was going to be there all the time to be getting that many. But once Springer's status comes into question, you're actually going to need somebody to play some center field and actually be in the lineup. Then, yeah, Jackie Bradley Jr., no question, uh, gives you more than Bradley Zimmer. He gives you something, whereas Bradley Zimmer gives you nothing. But I saw Chris Cotillo, who covers uh, the Red Sox had an incredible stat about Jackie Bradley Jr. season this year. He's hitting 296 with 15 doubles, three homers, 808 OPS, and 46 games at Fenway this season. Away from Fenway, he's hitting a buck 36 with six extra base hits and a 390 OPS. So it's just wild, the splits, the disparity in terms of at Fenway versus not at Fenway. It's been interesting. He's been playing a lot. Rymel Tapia has not been playing that much uh, of late. And I'm okay with that. You know, Tapia, I think, gives you probably more offensively. I know he doesn't really give you that much, but he probably gives you a slight bit more, but is basically, to me, bordering on liability defensively and is not uh, really giving you much there, whereas Bradley uh, still is. He's still a plus defender out there. So it's not that surprising with him hitting that Tapia's really not playing all that much. Bradley will... There's going to be some lean moments here. I, I understand he's already given you more than you could have expected. The the big hit in the Bronx, like you said, the bases loaded walk, some nice moments in the first game of the Red Sox series. That's already gravy. And I think, you know, if he can give you a few more of those down the stretch, you'll take them. But there's going to be some rough here. His profile offensively is still not particularly good. I still think that 
you know, if he's playing a ton, there's going to be some moments where I, I think offensively he gets exposed, but they're validated by picking him over Zimmer already. It's not even close. Yeah, it's just kind of hilarious that they hung on to him for for so, so long, but just kind of worked out that, you know, he was fine defensively, um, never was going to give you a great AB, you know, aside from hitting that homer off uh, Justin Verlander early in the season. I think he had another homer a couple months later, but uh, yeah, the hits were very few and far between, and the Blue Jays just seemingly never trusted him in a spot like that, uh, where they definitely feel better about Jackie Bradley Jr. at the dish. Uh, Alejandro Kirk, of course, has, uh, you know, started to turn things around a little bit here after a rough stretch coming out of the all-star break, but uh, someone that's gone through a really rough stretch at that catching position has been Danny Jansen. And uh, man, he was a house on fire earlier this year, um, you know, just hitting bombs left and right. But since coming back from that uh, hand injury uh, since July the 12th, he is uh, slashing 167, 247 and 258. The slugging percentage definitely uh, stands out there as a uh, the pop has just not been there. Now, I will say Danny's got a 180 BABIP. Um, does hit a ton of fly balls and, and pops yeah. up a lot. So that's been uh, a big part of that. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, maybe it's the hand. Maybe it's, you know, teams starting to pitch him differently and not just throwing him fastballs like they were at the beginning of the season. Um, things have not gone well for, for Danny at the plate. Um, you know, I still believe in his ability. I think we both do. Um, you know, is he as good as he was earlier this year? No. Is he as bad as he is right now? Probably not. He's somewhere in between. I think I heard Keith Law say earlier this year that, you know, he's probably long-term a serviceable major league backup, which I think that's probably where it lands for Danny Jansen. Like, I don't think he's going to be a, a starting pitcher or starting pitcher, starting catcher um, long-term aside from maybe on bad teams. Um, but yeah, I think the, the question kind of begs now that we've seen both sides of the spectrum with Danny Jansen. Um, what's the move here long-term? You've got Gabby Moreno coming. Uh, we saw a bit of him earlier this year. Clearly he needed to work on some things. We're probably going to see him back, uh, you would think, uh, in September, unless the Blue Jays definitely want to go off the board uh, with their uh, September call-up. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you're the biggest Danny Jansen guy I know. Uh, well, how are you feeling about uh, Jano heading into the offseason? Not great. I, I would say it's been really rough, and I have to assume that the hand has still bothered him, but he's a feast or famine type of hitter. Like you said, he – he basically is swinging for the fences. He's looking to get the ball in the air. And there's been a number of times this year where he's hit it to deep left field or deep center field and just not gotten enough of it. Like you said, the BABIP is low, but there's a lot of swing and miss and it just hasn't been great. And, you know, he was so hot and then the injury derailed him. I think that oblique. And then he had moments after that. But then since the, I think he hit two home runs in the 28 run game out of the all-star break, he's just done absolutely nothing. And, you know, the long-term prognosis future probably is not great in terms of, you know, him being the guy here or close to the guy. Are they trading him this off season? If he doesn't finish strong, considering where that, what that might mean for his value. I wonder, I, I still do think that teams will be interested in him because He's proven that he's a capable major league catcher. Is he a backup? Is he a fringe starter? Perhaps he's somewhere in there. But I, I still do think that teams who are catcher needy uh, will look at Danny Jansen as somebody that they feel like can make an impact. And he still makes an impact for this club. I, I, I think that you know his presence behind the plate for certain pitchers matters. There's some issues framing, you know, lower in the zone. Sometimes he's a little stabby with pitches and. There are certain occasions where 
um, you know, strikes become balls, but I I've been impressed with how on the whole, he's been able to develop defensively when he was thought of as a zero defensively at first as a prospect and more of an offensive. And it's kind of flipped at, at, uh, at some juncture, but I still think he can be a positive asset, whether it's for this club or somewhere else, uh, in the future, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, 12 months from now, is he still a blue Jay? I could go either way. I, I honestly would say it's probably a coin flip. Yeah, I guess it'll just come down to how they feel Moreno has, you know, progressed and if they feel like he's ready to get a large chunk of games and to be able to, you know, slide into that backup spot. It's just so weird because you've got a guy in Alejandro Kirk who's 23 years old. It's going to be a Blue Jay for a long time, you would think. Has a lot of time left uh, of control. And then you've got another guy who's a top five prospect at the same position. Um, you know, we it's pretty rare, right? Like two catchers. You don't see two, you know, highly touted uh, catchers you know come up through the system at the same time and one's already you know somewhat established in Alejandro Kirk and another guy's you know sort of banging on the door and ready to go um you know how do they split time how do you you know figure out uh, who is the guy that you want to go forward with I guess you know time will tell it'll all play out it always figures itself in the end as they as they say uh, when it comes to baseball but uh yeah definitely an interesting conundrum that the Blue Jays have this offseason with their uh, three catchers and what they're going to do moving forward uh, let's spend uh, just a few minutes Minutes here uh, on the bullpen. Uh, Julian Merriweather, uh, we saw him pitch on Sunday. Did leave the game after, uh, I think, three batters. I uh, threw 18 pitches. Um, had been dominating since, uh, mm-hmm. you know, heading to the Bisons on his little rehab stint here. Uh, I think the expectation is that uh, he will be joining the Blue Jays at some points before maybe September call-up or maybe after. Um, I guess we'll see about his health. They haven't really said anything as to why he left that game. And I guess since they haven't said anything, it is Wednesday. Uh, when we're recording this, that he's probably okay. Uh, I know famous last words with regards to Julian Merriweather. Uh, but, you know, Zach Pop got sent down the other day, Josh, to make room. Um, you know, it's amazing coming back. It's going to be interesting. I mean, if Nate Pearson is, you know, ready at some point, uh, you know, is there a phantom IL stint for someone down the road here? Like Zach Pop coming back up, like there's not enough chairs here. Uh, Trevor Richards, DFA, uh, an outright release. Like, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen here. Um, but, uh, you know, it does seem like the Blue Jays are, um, you know, don't have enough spots for all the relievers that they want to bring up uh, from uh, Buffalo or from the minors come September. Yeah, there's definitely some interesting, uh, I think, dilemmas and dialogues to have. You know, you say Kikuchi, if you need a roster spot, it, come on. It's just, I, I, he already volunteered to go to the minors. It's a lost season. It might just be lost in general, but he's not helping you. If he'll go to the minors, just get rid of him for the rest of the season, clear up a roster spot um, that way because he has options. Everyone's pointing at Richards. Why is Richards the first person you point to over Trent Thornton? Why would you DFA Trevor Richards over Trent Thornton? What, what am I missing? I understand Trevor Richards has not been good this year. He has been good since he came back. He's got a sub three ERA since uh, the 1st of July. Walks are still a little bit high. He's not been good. I'm not sugarcoating it, but Trent Thornton is just a guy. Trent Thornton's grow on trees. He's like, I don't even really know what you're identifying him as you lose him. You're not really feeling it. Somebody else will probably pick him up, but I just don't think that there's much ceiling there. So if you get rid of him, you get rid of Kikuchi, you know, Merriweather, I want to see it again. I'm back in. Let's give it a shot. Let's go. Let's give it another whirl here. Why not? He can, if he can miss bats, uh, like he's been doing at triple a and his stuff is sharper earlier in the year, his stuff was just flat and shit. Honestly, he was just getting teed off on if it's sharp again, 
Why not? You need more strikeouts. Zach Pop had one strikeout in almost seven innings. That's not, I wasn't really that crestfallen over it. His FIP and his XFIP were really high. He's given up nine hits in almost seven innings. He's lucky. Fly balls have been on the rise. They want him to work on a slider probably. He, he might get the call back up, but I was fine optioning him and, and not DFAing Trevor Richards as everyone seemed to want. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, Richards has been uh, good and a lot better since uh, coming back. You still don't trust him in a big spot at all uh, no. with his uh, home run tendency and tendency to walk guys. But yeah, the Trent Thornton down the road, um, that probably feels like the play. Uh, but yeah, the, the Blue Jays have some interesting decisions if they're expecting to get Merriweather back. Nate Pearson, maybe for like the final week of the season, if they just want to see um, what he's got and not have a complete lost year for him with uh, mono and uh, the injuries and such. But a lot of decisions to be made for the Blue Jays over the final month of the season. All right, it is time to get to listener questions. As always, you can reach us at DFA underscore pod on Twitter at Rob Wong 34 and at J Goldberg 12. Robbie tweets us and says, honestly, if they find a way to avoid playing at the drop for a three game playoff, I like their chances of participating in the fall classic. And uh, Terry also adds a similar question. I think they look like they're about to hit their stride for a bit. They have mostly delivered what I thought pitching is key. And that seems like it is now almost in order. While I don't think they will win the series as opposed to Robbie, they should have a good playoff run. Now I don't know if I'm uh, going to the World Series. Uh, I'm not willing to go that far, but I do think, I mean, just when you look at the way their rotation could set up with Gossman, Manoa, and then you pick one of Barrios or Stripling in a three-game wildcard set with this offense, I mean, who's to say, right? Like anything can happen in the playoffs. Like it, I know it's a dumb thing that everybody says all the time, but it's so true when it comes to baseball every year, you know, we've seen it with the Dodgers. We've seen it with the Yankees, you know, you pick your favorite heading into the postseason. How often do they actually get all the way there and win it all? Like it's pretty rare. Uh, I mean, the Dodgers uh, obviously have done it a little bit here, but uh, aside from them, I mean, the Braves winning it last year, nobody thought they would the nationals in 2019, like who would have expected them to get the job done. So, you know, I think there are still flaws with this blue Jays team, but I think, you know, now that we've seen some of the additions here at the trade deadline, it's raised the floor. Um, you know, a guy like Anthony Bass has added to the back end of a bullpen and come playoff time, you know, unless things are really going bad, you're not going to be seeing, you know, the like Adam Simber, like, to be honest, like, I don't know how often Adam Simber would be pitching in a three game wildcard playoff series. Cause I'd rather have Garcia. I'd rather have Bass. You're obviously going to have uh, Romano. Um, you know, Tim Mays is going to go up against uh, some lefties as well. And some tough matchups like, that's why you went out and got an Anthony Bass so that you wouldn't have to pitch Adam Simber in a seventh or an eighth inning um, because there are the day offs in between. So, you know, the way things set up for the Blue Jays, if you're uh, an opposing team, whether it's, you know, uh, the Rays or the Mariners, you know, if they get past that point and it's the Yankees or the Astros, like, I don't think teams want to see the Blue Jays. No. Like, that's that's the best way I can put it. No, and honestly, you mentioned Simber. David Phelps is ahead of Adam Simber Absolutely. in the pecking order. Yeah. David Phelps has been, it hasn't unfolded the way that I would have thought with the lack of strikeouts. He's been kind of hovering around one per inning pitch where he last year, I know he with the lat injury, but before he got hurt, he was at like almost 12 per nine in terms of strikeouts, but he gets the job done. He just comes in. Sometimes there's some command issues, but when he has everything working and sync, he pounds his own, he throws it to both sides of the plate. He can command all this stuff. He's a guy that is going to be pitching in, in leverage spots here ahead of Adam Simber because he can at least more 
reliably get a strikeout in a big spot than Simber. And that is going to give him the nod for me in, in, uh, in leverage. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I wouldn't want to face the Jays. They still, I think you know, there are some deficiencies uh, offensively that I think can be exploited in the postseason. If you attack them a certain way, you're pitching them down and away, down and away, down and away. Do they, do they have enough against, if you're seeing the Seattle Mariners in a playoff series, like, like Luis Castillo, a Logan Gilbert, somebody like that who can, command their stuff on the outside part of the plate and on the black, can the Jays get them in the zone enough? Can they be patient enough in, in a postseason situation? I think the, the uh, jury is still out on that, but yeah, with their level of talent, you don't want to face them. And I, I do think that they line up decently in a wild card series. And then once you get there, you know, you never know what can happen. Is the bullpen good enough? I, I still wonder. I still have my questions. It's definitely better with Bass here. He has been really good. I, I'm pleasantly surprised at, at how much his stuff has translated uh, since the trade. You know, you you take your best shot in the playoffs, and sometimes cr- crazy shit can happen. And the Atlanta Braves were seven or eight games under uh, 500 against winning clubs last year, and they won the World Series. So you find a you find some fountain of good baseball and some luck in over two and a half three weeks in October and into November. You're raising a banner when it's all said and done. Sometimes it can happen, even if you don't feel like the team is poised to do so. How many Braves fans or like you said, Nats fans were feeling that? I, I think that once you get into the dance, you know all bets are off. Yeah, that's really all it is. Just get hot, stay healthy, and see what happens. I mean, if uh, if this was the Blue Jays team from two weeks ago, I would have said, like, no chance. But, like, now that they're playing well, if you slotted this one into the playoffs right now, I think they would have a pretty good chance at, you know, winning a wild card series and maybe making a bit of a run. As always, you can hit us up on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 34 and at Jay Goldberg 12. Let's get to our Teoscars for player of the week. Four candidates we've got uh, George Springer, who like we said has been batting 600 since returning to the lineup. Kevin Gossman's been on fire. Jose Barrios with a phenomenal start in New York against the Yankees and uh, the guy that you mentioned, David Phelps who's been just incredible out of the bullpen has uh, really righted the ship after a bit of a, uh, you know, a bit of a tough go there in the middle of the season. Um, but he has just been, you know, all season long, one of the more reliable pieces out of the bullpen. Who is getting your Teoscar for the week? Well, I guess uh, he really didn't play that many games, but you have a five hit game and then a basis clearing triple and a couple of wins and just continue to highlight your importance to the team. George Springer is getting it for me. Phelps deserves uh, an honorable mention and he very easily could have won it. But if Springer just continues to showcase why the Jays were so interested in signing him and, and, you know, why he's so important to what they do around here, even in a limited sample, which is really the story. The George Springer story is a blue Jay. He showcases how incredible a ball player he is. And he did that uh, this past week. Yeah. It's, it's, I just looked at his stats up on fan graphs. It is hilarious that this guy who has seemingly been hurt all season long and uh, right now is dealing with an elbow injury has the 24th highest uh, WRC plus among qualified hitters in major league baseball this year. Now, maybe a lot of that came earlier this year when he was fully healthy, but the fact that even, you know, through his rough stretches, he's been able to sustain a play where he just hasn't completely cratered his season long numbers. Uh, Like that's ahead of, you know, a guy like uh, Trey Turner, 
that's ahead of a guy like Anthony Rizzo, Wilson Contreras, who was an all-star, like just slightly ahead, but just gives you an idea of, you know, the company that George Springer is keeping. Like he is still one of the uh, top 25 to 30 players in uh, all of Major League Baseball um, still. Uh, and when he's healthy, he's even better than that. So uh, if he can somehow start to feel a little bit better uh, with that elbow as we head into the final stretch of the season, maybe we see a little bit more power. Maybe he can play center field more often. And if that's the case, then yeah, the, the sky is the limit for this Blue Jays offense and for this Blue Jays team. And that'll do it for another edition of the Designated for Assignment pod. As always, you can get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod, at Rob Wong 34 and at Goldberg 12 For Josh, I'm Rob. We'll talk to you in a week's time.